Today is March 7th, 2022. Happy Monday. You're listening to the Happy Market Research Podcast. I'm Jamin Brazil, your host. Support for the Happy Market Research Podcast and the following message comes from Michigan State's Marketing Research Program and HubUX. I've done hundreds of interviews with today's top minds in market research. Many of them trace their roots to Michigan State's Marketing Research Program. Are you looking for a higher paying job to expand your professional network and to achieve your full potential in the world of market research? Today, the program has tracks for both full-time students and working professionals. They also provide career support, assisting students to win today's most sought after jobs. In fact, over 80% of Michigan State's marketing research students have accepted job offers six months prior to graduating. If you are looking to achieve your full potential, check out MSMU's program at broad.msu.edu slash marketing. WX is a research operations platform for private panel management, qualitative automation, including video audition questions and surveys. For a limited time, user seats are free. If you'd like to learn more or create your own account, visit hubux.com. Okay, this is episode 512 of the Happy Market Research Podcast. And according to iTunes, Doja Cat, Get Into It, Yeah, is the number one song across the globe. Now, if you have kids in earshot, you may want to skip ahead 20 seconds. There are some explicit lyrics, which I am a little bit embarrassed to even have on the show. <laughs> and that's coming from somebody that's Gen X, right? I mean, when we would do trick-or-treating, our biggest fear, they would put like razor blades in our apples. I mean, there was just a lot. We had lawn darts. I mean, our generation is pretty hardcore. And yet this song makes me blush. So make sure that you put earmuffs on those kids. If you are listening to this episode on the first Monday of March, I am likely on an airplane headed to Washington, D.C., where I'll be chairing a two-day event. I'll be chairing the second day of Qual 360. If you're in the area, I would love to grab a drink with you. DM me on social. It is going to be a ton of fun seeing some market research professionals in person. All right. So our topic today is data quality. For this, I have brought in an industry expert. I will tell you this, that data quality is at an all-time low. Our conversation is a little dark. If you need to find your happy place, don't fret. We do have some happier topics coming down the line, but you can always find a smile, at least I can today, with Doja Cat. And let's get into it. Yeah. Our guest is Dr. Leib Littman, Chief Research Officer at Cloud Research. Founded in 2015, Cloud Research is headquartered in New York and is a participant sourcing platform for online research and surveys. Prior to joining Cloud Research, Labe served as the Associate Professor of Psychology at Lander College. Sir, welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me. 
I could not be more excited about diving into the topic of data quality. It is the oil that, or maybe it's the sun that powers, thinking about like renewable energy. It is the power behind all of the insights that companies are using to make critical business decisions. At the center, we've seen a rise of automation, which has created this like hotbed for fraud, right? Because no longer are you able to disclose any sort of PII to research data collection platforms or to practitioners. Additionally, we really don't have any idea if you're purchasing from the marketplace or one of the marketplaces, you have no idea of really where the sample is coming from. Um, unless you're, you know, one of the maybe 300 people in the world that pays attention to that. So what's been really interesting to me is the research that I've done has netted about a 38% fraud rate in the marketplaces and 18% fraud when I recruit from social media. And by the way, these are ads that are created on social asking people for their opinion, as opposed to sourcing against, you know, a known population of uh, research participants. My question to you is, do we have a systemic issue? Uh, yes, the issue is definitely systemic. And that 38% that you mentioned is uh, very close to what many others have seen also and pretty much exactly on the mark in terms of what we're seeing very consistently. There was a, a talk given by Case as part of the Insights Association. Case is this group that really cares deeply about data quality and they, they did a fairly large study looking at fraud and their number was exactly 40%. So very much similar to what you just mentioned. So it's definitely systemic and it's definitely extremely prevalent. Yeah, the issue for me became super visible in 2018. I was at MRMW and I heard a talk by the chief research officer, I think. Uh, I might have her title mistaken, but scientist, excuse me, uh, Tina Marr of Procter & Gamble. And she had done a root cause analysis of some serious misses from the insights, what the insights were saying that, or the outcome of the research was saying was going to happen to the actual what happened in the marketplace. And when she kind of did her root cause analysis, she found that there was a huge amount of fraud in, going on inside of uh, their studies. And, and in that at that point, they had cited 35%. What I find really interesting is I think of it from an economic point of view, you know, it used to be the case even 10 years ago that we were paying participants $5 to participate in a research project. Now our average CPIs have dropped in some cases less than a dollar if you're, you know, general pop. How much do you think the usual participant is getting paid? Well, you can really ask them that question and, and we have, you can just run a survey and, uh, and ask people, you know, what, what are you getting paid for this? And uh, people generally in the marketplace give a whole range of answers that are somewhere around 50 cents. But it really depends because some people don't actually get paid in dollars. They, they get paid in all kinds of rewards, points is you know, probably a very common way of paying participants. Some people get entered into some kind of a lottery that's a little bit less common, but that happens quite often. But usually like rewards, points and 50 cents or less, sometimes people will say 10 cents, 20 cents. It really kind of ranges, but it's not very much. It really does kind of beg the question to me in terms of what the motivation is of people actually participating in research if it's not based on economic kind of returns for them. Do you have any insight into why people do? For people to make like an extra 50 cents here and there or to get a, a little bit of like some rewards for yeah. participating in a survey, it kind of makes sense for a lot of people. Some people enjoy doing that sort of thing. Yeah. And that is 
all I can say about that. Like, I, yeah. I, I honestly like don't know anything, you know, beyond that. I know that there are some platforms, some panels where people do get paid more, and usually yeah. you could get, ex- you could expect to get better data quality there. But there's also flip side of that coin, which is that when the rewards are high, there's actually a potential mm-hmm. for more fraud there as well because that attracts fraud. Yeah. So it's it's not it's not clear whether the fraud is you know what the correlation is between like payment and fraud. I did a study where we sourced this on social and it paid twenty five dollars for a complete. And at first it started out very slow. It's a classic story, right? Five, ten completes a day, and then all of a sudden I was getting hundreds of completes in a day, and obviously all of them were fraud. <laughs> yep. <laughs> right. Getting kind of to your point of like paying more doesn't necessarily solve the problem. It really doesn't. It doesn't solve the problem. It does solve some problems. Right. And the kind of problems that it solves are you really can't get too many people to be very engaged for a very long period of time, even if they are real participants. If you're paying somebody 50 cents, you're not going to get too many high quality open ends. You know, right. You're not going to get someone to really engage for more than a couple of minutes or 10 minutes. If your survey is longer, if it's like 25, 30 minutes, it's just not going to happen. So at some point, you have to pay people more if you want to do like, qualitative research, for example, and if you want to get any kind of quality out of that. There, the issue of uh, paying more makes a huge difference. The last five years have been the rise of the survey, right? I mean, you can't go get a haircut without getting a satisfaction survey (laughs) directly afterwards. Surveys are built into the CRMs, basically the fabric of business, even at an SMB level, which is amazing. Meanwhile, we've got this global pandemic, which has forced us into this digital framework, like almost exclusively. So it just kind of begets more surveys, right? Because you have actually these digital fingerprints that are expansive across the consumer journey. Whereas before there was so much of that journey that was happening outside of a digital context. About how many surveys do you think are being completed in the US now? I would put it in the billions, uh, you know, and I would say that in addition to just typical market research surveys, there have been other developments just in our culture that have been transformative as well that Mm -hmm. add to just the number of online surveys that are being done. For example, in the last 10 years, there's been a revolution in academia where now academic research is being done online at a level that that couldn't be imagined just 10 years ago. 10 years ago, nobody was doing research pretty much online in academia. And by academia, academia, I'm talking about psychology, research, sociology, you know, research and that kind of like behavioral research that right. uh, used to happen through like undergraduate subject pools is where yep. they used to get their respondents. And then at a certain point, academics figured out like, hey, we can just recruit people online. And that's been transformative. There's also a tremendous amount of polling that's done now online, which hadn't been the case in the past. There's a tremendous amount of public health research, medical research, and of course, there's market research. And that just really speaks to your point. Our society is really becoming so dependent on online research uh, more and more. And just thinking about the scope of it and how much we depend on the data as a society, as a culture, is really astounding. And when you look across all of these different domains, you know, the academic, right, the polling, the market research, the medical research, right, pharmaceutical research, all that stuff, it's certainly in the billions. I mean, I was just talking to a client yesterday and they said like, yeah, we in a, a polling firm. 
and they said, um, yeah, we, we collect about 50,000 responses a day, right? That's like a single polling firm, right? Just one. So, yeah. That's right. And we're entering into, you know, 2022 is an election year in the U.S. That usually means we'll see a volume increase of between 10 and 20% of completes, predominantly centered around political concerns. So just thinking about like the need expanding, right, of consumer insights or, or of participants to take surveys, like where's the supply going to come from? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, it, in terms of polling around election time, Everyone is having the same problems. It's not just online surveys, it's telephone surveys as well, particularly in very specific geographical regions in the United States, you know, right around the time of the election last year. I mean, people, you know, just non-response from right. uh, telephone surveys was through the roof, like sometimes 99%. I mean, you just need respondents and you can't find them, you know, and it introduces a whole bunch of bias. So I would say... In online research, there's the same problem. There's more uh, demand now than there is supply, and that's going to get stretched in the coming months as the midterm election uh, draw nearer. And you know exactly what the answer to that is is unclear. I do think that offering better incentives can certainly go a long way to attract more people right to participate. But exactly who's willing to do that and how that's going to be implemented is a huge. A set of question marks. You know, the other thing in relation to this question that also relates to fraud is that, you know, what people don't realize is that much of their sample isn't actually real sample. Much of it is just noise. And part of the reason that people are reluctant to deal with this problem is because the demand is so high. <laughs> it's, it's kind of scary, but that's actually partly what's going on. Yeah. There's this like, you know, research happens. It's like music. It happens in time. And there's a business decision, which is really kind of the end of the fuse, right? And so there's this tremendous amount of pressure that is created during the fielding stage of a project when you're getting your participants in and to make sure that you're getting all those quotas filled, that it's quote unquote representative, et cetera, et cetera. And when you think mathematically, if in fact 40% are fraud, then you know for a fact there's a proportion of your 60% that are you're qualified you're non-fraud that actually are fraud you're just simply not catching them right i mean it's it's kind of like a unfortunately but it, it data is a lot like a bucket of water more than this like really clear sideload individual person and, and so subsequently you, there is this like ability for for bad actors to, to get into the pool unbeknownst and so what concerns me is to your point is that that's not going to go away. Like the pressure is not going to go away. We've got to get completes done in time. But we've seen this like decline in the amount of money that companies are willing to pay for quality participants. Additionally, we're seeing, you know, this influx of private equity and venture capital funds in the market research space. And that's creating a lot of pressure for survey platforms and for operators to improve their gross margin. One of the best ways to improve your gross margin is simply by, you know, marking up a complete, let's say you're going to get $3 for that complete, but you're actually only paying a dollar for it. That's a really good return, right, on that complete. And so like the incentive is really for the operator to go with the lowest cost and then kind of turn a blind eye to the quality, the quality considerations. 
Yeah, and uh, exactly, and, that, and that's and that's happening uh, more and more. And uh, you know, at a certain point, the end client it has to realize that what they're getting is uh, just not what they need, right? I mean, right. What, very often, what they're getting is just noise. Uh, it goes back to what you said before. You know, they're looking for certain insights. They're looking for certain actionable kind of ideas, and the conclusions that they're drawing from their research can be completely false. And uh, it is so easy to actually demonstrate this. It's just very often either the clients aren't looking for it or they don't know exactly how to, how to look for it or they kind of just trust what they're getting. But there's, a, there's an easy way to actually check. Like, for example, anyone can just conduct a survey, right, and ask a, a simple question in that survey, right? Are you a petroleum engineer? Okay, yes or no. Just simple, yes or no, right? Now, you know, maybe a one out of 10,000 people is a petroleum engineer in the real world, but everybody, everybody will find that in their survey is going to be at least 10%. And that's best case scenario. Sometimes right. you'll find that it's 20%. And remember that if you're getting 20% saying yes, usually it's coming from just noise and randomness, right? So if somebody doesn't read, read the question, they have a 50% chance of saying yes or no. So if, so if you get 50, uh, you know, 10% yeses, there's another 10% who... Would you know said no just by random chance, and so you're getting 20% complete right noise, noise from 20% of your sample, and then if you look at the actual outcome variables of interest in that sample from these people, you will see that it looks like complete nonsense, and right. it's mixing into your other data, and it can either dilute the signal that you're looking for, or it can, can completely invalidate. Your conclusions. It really depends on you know what the what the research question is, and, and I've seen so many examples. In fact, we we just published a paper uh, very recently where the CDC right did a study right at the, at the height of COVID, where they did something similar. They they wanted to know whether this was like in May of 2020, right right as COVID was starting, and there was uh, really a right. tremendous amount of tremendous amount of concern. People were were very scared, you know, and the CDC found, wanted to know what kind of actions are people taking to protect themselves behaviorally against infection. So they asked people, they did a survey where they asked people like, are you wearing a mask? Are you touching your face? You know, are you keeping distance? And then they wanted to know, well, are, are some people going overboard? Are there maybe some things that people are doing that like they shouldn't be doing because they're being overprotective, right? right. So they asked them questions like, are you washing your food with bleach? Yeah. And are you actually like, drinking bleach so that right. because that's going to like w protect you or are you yeah. gargling bleach or like you misting your clothes with uh, bleach and, and so on and so right. forth. And, and they found this astonishing result, right? They found that 40% of their respondents said that they're doing one of these completely, you know, Insane. crazy things. And uh, about 10% of people said that they're actually like drinking bleach and gargling bleach, Right. So this is like astonishing. And what is much more bizarre or much more just interesting from a societal perspective, from like a social commentary perspective, was that they published this paper in the flagship journal of the Center for Disease Control. And the paper over two days got picked up by over 150 news outlets around the world. Of course. Right? And basically, I mean, it was every CNN, Fox News, you know, just any, you know, and MSNBC. Everybody was talking about it, and people outside of the United States were like laughing at how people in the United States are drinking bleach and you know, uh, and, and so on and so forth. We looked at the, I came across the study, and I, um, you know, 
as soon as I, as soon as I saw the data, I, I said to myself, okay, I don't even need to read the results section. I mean, I know exactly what happened, right? So I, I knew that, okay, they probably sourced their data from certain standard kind of places yep. where, where people get their data. And, um, you know, they didn't use any kind of protection and so right. on and so forth. And so at that point, you know, I looked at the method section. Yes, exactly. That's exactly what happened. And then that day, I reran that study with our research team at Cloud Research, exactly using the same methodology, asking the same exact questions, but using basic standard protection. And then we ran the study with that protection and without, and we found without protection, you get exactly what they found, that 10% of people say that they were drinking bleach. Without it, not a single person actually claimed to do any of these things. So literally everything that they reported was just completely false. And this ends up in the CDC. It ends up in scientific journals. It ends up in the part, part of the news cycle. It ends up part of our culture. It ends up really being part of the national conversation. The things that we call quote unquote facts, right, come from so much of it comes from market research data and exactly and uh and so this is this is really the the challenge <laughs> great i really appreciate the specificity around this this is a great point you're making so last question what steps can researchers put in place in order to ensure that they don't uh have participants that are drinking bleach yeah that's a great question and uh it's, there are a number of things that researchers you know need to be doing you know with cloud research we've actually developed a tool for yeah. protecting surveys against data it's called Sentry. And what Sentry does is that it pre-survey instrument that basically participants have to answer a couple of questions and based on their answers and based on some of their mouse movements and behavior and some other things that Sentry looks for, it identifies who's likely to be a good respondent, who's likely not to be not good respondent. And Sentry does a really great job of getting rid of like the vast majority of bad data. But um, if somebody wants to know what what they need to do like as a researcher to really get clean data. So you need to have within your survey various kinds of questions, various kinds of, you know, we call them like validated instruments that will identify who's the good respondent, who's the bad respondent. And it's really about using something that is validated. It's got to be accurate. It, it needs to have a low false positive rate a high hit rate, and it needs to be structured so that it's kind of like embedded within different parts of the survey in order for it to be maximally effective. So those are the kind of things that really need to be within every single yeah. survey. And in addition, again, like there are various kinds of products out there that will help the researcher create a solution that's maximally effective. But it's really, people need to see this as really a partnership between themselves and whatever tools they use. You really need both because there is no tool out there that can completely clean your data. So you can't like just outsource it to someone. It just doesn't, it's not going to work. It's got to be part of something that researcher does and you got to use the right tools. Yeah. I had a uh, friend of mine who you might know, Vignesh from Research Defender. He, um, yeah, he told me fraud has to be managed. It'll never be solved. And I thought like, that's exactly right from a framework perspective. And to your point, like thinking about cloud research, sitting in front of the survey by screening out a lot of the fraudulent participants early on, then you have the ability or have a higher probability of having clean data on the back end. 
That's exactly right. You need a really good instrument that will be as effective as possible. And then as a researcher, you need to kind of also provide some of your own input and manage some of your own data. Uh, but I do think that it is possible to solve this problem. I don't think it's an unsolvable problem. I, I, I do think that it's, it, it is something that needs to be managed, but I do think that we're getting much better at solving this problem. I think, you know, like for example, at Century, it now cleans out for most surveys around 70% of the bad data, which is a lot better than yeah. um, getting, you know, no protection. Right, when, right. When yeah. Just starting out, you know? yeah, exactly. I and mean, the survey questions that you put in there are going to be uh, part of the solution, but you really need to start at the top of the funnel in vetting those participants early so that you can have a higher probability of success as they go through your survey. So I really appreciate you taking time with us today. Thank you for being on the Happy Market Research Podcast. Thank you for having me. I really uh, enjoyed talking to you. Everyone else, our guest today has been Dr. Leib Littman, Chief Research Officer at Cloud Research. You can find his contact information and more information about Cloud Research in the show notes. I hope you have a great rest of your day.